Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And for the great majority of the run of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, just the the release history of this podcast, the great majority of episodes have touched upon in some way or another what one might call conventional mainstream costumed superheroes Uh, at least until fairly recently you know just conventional superheroes traditional superheroes whatever whatever you want to call them that really has been the the bread and butter of this podcast from from its inception you know i honestly don't know how many episodes about for example, Superman comics I've released. Uh, somebody out there could probably figure it out. I truly do not know what the number is. But I've got to believe the number is really high. You know, there's just been a ton of Superman comics about which I have talked during the run of this podcast. And if you guys have noticed a trend going on in the episodes that I've released... Uh, in 2020 and I would say especially in like the second half of 2020 there's been a kind of obvious and stark moving away from that from that type of stuff from again conventional mainstream costumed superheroes uh, really have moved away from that I wouldn't I'm prepared to call Cyberfrog as a comic book I'm prepared to call that many things but it's not really a conventional superhero, right? So, primarily what I've been uh, doing with my time in terms of uh, geek media, it I've actually been kind of shocked to discover when I really started looking back on things and, and counting things up, how much horror stuff I've I've been taking in, you know, horror movies, horror shows, and God knows, horror comics, because this is Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, and, well, I guess it just wouldn't be normal if if I didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, reading comics and finding a way to make everything about comics, because that's sort of my thing. But it does need to be said that... I've gotten a whole lot more um, excitement and uh, just general enthusiasm for for horror, basically anything, than I do than I do superhero stuff. That's just been the way that things have unfolded, and. Just getting a little sip off of my drink here. <clears throat> so, it was a, eh, sort of a controversial thing um, when uh, a couple of weeks ago I released an episode with uh, Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks fame. It was just kind of a general shoot the shit episode. And I mentioned that I was having a really hard time getting my enthusiasm up to do 
another one of my Magnus <clears throat> to do another one of my uh, Magnus talks about Smallville uh, episodes another one of those retrospectives it's really been hard you know to get my enthusiasm up for that because uh, people superheroes in general I'm kind of just struggling with right now and one might say Smallville in particular I'm struggling with right now but none of that's really an issue with with horror stuff uh, I just went cruising around in my my DC uh, comics app a couple weeks ago and basically I was looking for something different alright so poked around a little bit and I found uh, just different titles that I've seen around over the years, but I've just never really paid a whole lot of attention to. Uh, Weird Mystery Tales, The Witching Hour, House of Mystery, and Black Magic. And reading through basically the first issue, that I, at least that's available, I don't know if all of these are necessarily issue number one. Uh, like, I think most of them are, but I think some of these, they, they just there's not a complete history available for him on the DC Comics app. House of Mystery, for example, the earliest one that I was able to find is issue number 174. But the other the other three, Black Magic, The Witching Hour, and Weird Mystery Tales, I read the first issue of all of those things, and look, are these the greatest comic books that you've ever read? No. But they are pretty good. And what I've come to realize is the sort of like the selling point for these things is, well, number one, they're not they're not costumed superheroes. So, I mean, I guess there's that to think about. But the other thing is, uh, well, just uh, just to kind of pick um, this is not like an official review of the witching hour number one, but I do at least want to. Uh, hit some of the high points with it and explain why it is that this stuff is a lot more interesting to me than most superhero stuff right now. Even like classic, well-respected superhero stuff, you know, from the good old days, whenever you think the good old days might have been. This horror stuff is still more interesting to me. So, you know, just to look at it, um, the uh, cover, it says it's 12 o'clock. The Witching Hour, you know, uh, number one. And this is just a really moody and atmospheric uh, cover. Uh, the exact time in which this this cover illustration is possibly taking place, it's wide open to interpretation, you know. This could be the modern day, could be sometime in the past. It's It really is wide open. And it's also just a really cool cover cover image. It's uh, some guy who's standing around in... I, I don't know if this is the moonlight or what, but he's basically standing around in an otherwise empty uh, village street. He's surrounded by houses. It's late at night. There's this gigantic fucking full, uh, full moon uh, in the background. And there's also this big spooky-looking castle. And then closer to uh, the foreground... There's a witch, and she's hunched on a rooftop. She's holding a, a, a broom. She's got her black cat sidekick with her. 
and it's just a really cool cover. Now, there is an argument that the the logo is just occupying just just it, it's just plain too big. You know, it's occupying too much space, and it's just too big. And I'm even willing to listen to that, but it's still a really good cover, and it really does a lot to sell the atmosphere of of what this thing is. And I think I've even said in the past that what I really like about horror movies, it's really not so much characters or story or any of that stuff, the gore or any of that, because I'm really not a gore person like at all. What I really like about horror movies, I, I, I've come to understand, is the atmosphere of it. You know, the full moon and 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 just things like that, just the, the mood of of fear and, and thrills and all that stuff. That's really what I want. You know, when it comes to horror, for me, that's the real franchise of it. And this cover gives me that, you know? And as to the, the issue itself, it's basically, this is an anthology story. I'm guessing this is an anthology title, but it's an anthology story. And it's basically witches telling each other stories in an attempt to scare one another. And, I mean, the... This... Again, I mean, is this the greatest comic book that you've ever read? Well, maybe not. But for what, for what it sets out to be, what it attempts to do, I get a lot out of it. You know, now the the uh, creative team that is credited uh, with this thing, um, at least according to uh, my DC Comics app, um, the uh, creative team is uh, writers are De uh, Denny O'Neill and Alex Toth, and then the pencils, which is that can mean many things. Uh, pencils are are done by Neil Adams, Pat Boyette. Jack Sparling and Alex Toth. And if this was meant to be like an official review of The Witching Hour number one, I'd probably figure out who drew what and and which stories were done by were drawn by uh, which artist, which which parts of this were were written by which writer. Um doesn't really matter. You know, um basically this does have I mean, it does need to be said, uh, this thing, it does have kind of a 60s... And I've always thought of Alex Toth as kind of a, a 60s artist to begin with anyway. This does have a kind of 60s Marvel-ish, or maybe Jack Kirby-ish, or Jack Kirby influence type of vibe going for it. When you say Alex Toth, the first thing that I think of is not The Witching Hour, but nevertheless, you can... You can definitely see the influence that's going on here. But what I'm trying to say, and I'm I'm saying it badly, but what I'm trying to say is that this isn't this isn't the greatest comic book that anybody's ever made. This probably isn't even the greatest horror comic that anybody's ever made. But it's like at the same time, I mean, I get something out of this that I'm not getting from from newer from newer comics. Um, or here's another one. Um, this is a, a Weird Mystery Tales. Uh, let's see. This, yeah, Weird Mystery Tales number one. And just, you know, uh, glancing through this, it's, it just, this just looks like a, a fun and moody and atmospheric 
uh, sort of comic book. It it just seems it just seems enjoyable, you know. Um, it just seems like it. What it wants to be is it's almost like a Hammer horror movie comic book in a way. And for me, it's just it, it's the better for it. And or or uh, here's another one. <clears throat> Let's flip back to it. Um, this is the uh, really it's the first story. This is a uh, uh, the house uh, house of mystery number one seventy four. And just to look at the cover, I mean, you really can't ignore the EC Comics influence that's going on here with that uh, the uh, trade dress of it. And I mean, obviously this is this is DC Comics, but it's trying very hard to sort of be reminiscent of EC Comics. And I just kind of dig that. But the uh, first story here is entitled uh, The Wondrous Witch's Cauldron. Again, this is another anthology comic. And it, it basically, this story, it follows the, the, I don't know, like I can't say adventure, misadventures maybe, of this semi-sentient uh, uh, witch's cauldron. And it's just a fun little four-page story, and it it's just kind of an in-and-out sort of a thing. It's like four as, and, and the... Sort of the the point of this story is that this cauldron does have legit power, but it's like everyone who ever finds out about the fact that it has power, they seem to die very soon thereafter. And so as a result, just about every person who interacts with this magical whoosie what's this cauldron through this story, they don't understand its true value or what they're dealing with, you know? And I just, it, it's... It, it yes, this is kind of a this is supposed to be a horror comic book, but this is this is when you think about it, it's kind of a whimsical little story, and I just really dig it. And I guess what I'm really trying to say here is that I get a lot more out of these these horror comic books that I've been buying lately. I get a lot more out of these than I do, you know, the other things, you know, the other types of comics that I've that I've uh, talked about during, during the run of this, uh, of this podcast or um, sort of moving away uh, from that stuff. There was a point earlier this year where I was reading just bunches and bunches and bunches of Vampirella comics. And I even intended, it doesn't seem like I'm going to be able to pull it off this year, but I even intended at one point, to talk about at least a few Vampirella comics uh, during uh, the course of 2020, but then, well, but but then COVID happened, and then the lockdown happened, and then found out that uh, the wife is going to have a baby, and then you know, so probably by the time you you guys are hearing this episode, she's already had the baby, but at the time that I record it, no baby yet. So anyway. But that was very much the idea that I had for for uh, 2020. I, among other things, wanted to talk about some Vampirella comics. And specifically, this is a miniseries called Vampirella Morning in America. And again, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is because it really does hit the high points of what I want from horror in general. But as I was soon to discover... Um, Vampirella comics in particular, 
really moody and atmospheric art, uh, kind of spooky looking art. And one of the things that I guess I've just, maybe I just never fully realized it before, or maybe I just wasn't fully appreciative of it before. I don't know. But one of the things I came to appreciate when I was reading uh, Vampirella Morning in America this year, like way earlier this year, is the fact that Vampirella, she's got the potential to be just kind of like a schlock sort of character and doesn't really have a whole lot of dramatic potential or, for that matter, dramatic depth. There's just really not much going on with this character. She's got that potential. But there's also there really is like a real character there. There really is a real story there when this character is in the right hands, you know? And, I mean, these days... I, these days, I'm just going to throw it all out there. Kurt Busiek really has done a lot to alienate me and people like me. So I can't imagine buying uh, Kurt Busiek's newer comics. But reading this thing now, it I can't help thinking that it is... In its own way, it is kind of a shame that there's not more Kurt Busiek work with with Vampirella because I look at just how much I enjoy this miniseries and I can't help thinking, you know, I would actually have wanted to see Kurt Busiek stick around a little bit longer on Vampirella and just see see where he wants to take the character. And it... I don't know. But since I'm here and since I'm talking about Vampirella of Morning in America, number one, I guess one of the things that really works for me about this story is the fact that it takes place in, in a world where monsters and supernatural creatures and things like that, these things are very real. And... This they do not exist in a vacuum. They affect the world around them. The world that uh, that Vampirella lives in. It has been. It has it, it, it not defeated. It has it hasn't been defeated, but. You get the idea that the reason that the entire world has not been brought uh, to its knees is uh, primarily because they they just they're not especially interested in in making their move at least right now, you know. So Adam Van Helsing is he is uh, opposed to the forces of darkness, but without Vampirella around to help him. The forces of darkness, they basically own Washington, D.C. You know, it's not a good idea to go outdoors after dark in Washington, D.C. during the time that this miniseries takes place. You're, you really are taking your life in your own hands. And so obviously, you know, with that as sort of like the setup, you already know that the story is going to end with Vampirella. She comes back and she... Essentially, she frees Washington, D.C. from the grip of the forces of darkness, right? 
And so, I mean, that part of the story is kind of predictable, but it's number one, the story that gets told is beautifully drawn. And number two, it's, it's told in a, in a fun and compelling and dynamic way that you really do enjoy the ride uh, as Vampirella has her, her big showdown with the, the big bad in this thing. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, it is kind of funny to me that what I wanted to do was talk about this miniseries this year and some, some pretty good depth. And what I'm having to do right now is just kind of gloss over it and skip past a few things uh, just because I don't want to get bogged down in, in any one thing. The main issue that I want to drive home here is the fact that horror as a genre has been a lot more enjoyable to me than anything to do with uh, conventional superheroes. And I do not consider Vampirella to be a conventional superhero. And so, um, and for that matter, I guess since we're talking about Vampirella, one of the few comic books that I actively follow these days is uh, Vengeance of Vampirella from IDW, or IDW, my apologies, from uh, Dynamite. <clears throat> That's one of the few uh, uh, active uh, comics uh, being released right now that I still follow. And the reason for that is this... I don't want to say that this is completely getting the band back together, but it is written by Tom Snigoski, who wrote... Um, Vengeance of Vamp Vampirella back in the 90s. Basically, the Vampirella stuff that I like the most and which kind of spins out of Morning in America. This is the guy that basically, not directly, but he basically picked up more or less where Kurt, Kurt Busiek left off. Again, not directly, but anyway. A few middle steps in between. And so the his... Like the Vengeance of Vampirella title, like that iteration of the character, the Snigoski uh, Vampirella, her story went in a certain direction, and whatever happened, happened. I mean, I, I, I wasn't there. I can't really say with certainty, but rather abrupt, uh, abruptly, it looks like Snigoski left the title, and so his replacement basically took the story in directions that Tom Snigoski uh, wasn't, he wasn't going to go in, you know, the story that he wanted to tell never really got finished. And so this new Vengeance of Vampirella that's coming out now from uh, Dynamite, this is basically Tom Snigoski more or less picking up where he left off with the character and the adventures that she has and, you know, bringing her, bringing her uh, back from the dead and the adjustments that she has to make to this different world that she lives in now, as compared to the 90s. And, I don't know, I just, I just really enjoy that, that title. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. And like I say, there, there are just not very many uh, ongoing comics these days that I follow, but that is definitely one of them. So, and at some point, I do... I do want to figure some kind of a way to talk about Vampirella comics, but I don't know. I honestly don't know when I'm ever going to have, have the chance to do it the way that I want to do it, you know? So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Or here's another one. Uh, this is a, uh, a miniseries by Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan 
from IDW called Joe Frankenstein. And this is another thing that it actually came out a few years ago, but I only read it recently. This is a ton of fun. I really enjoy this miniseries. And as far as I know, this miniseries is, that's really all there is. But number one, there's plenty of room at the end of this miniseries. There's plenty of room for sequels and more stories going on in the future. This concept has a lot of mojo to it. The Joe Frankenstein concept uh, does. But the other thing is, again, Graham Nolan, I mean, I'm a fan of his from, from way back. And one of the things that I like is he already has a, a, an art style that's very friendly to thrills and suspense. Uh, he's not, I don't think he would necessarily be my first choice as a horror artist, but it's like at the same time, he... His art style, it does lend itself to elements of, of horror. And so for that reason, it, it really does work for me that his art style is, it, it just, it, the way he draws all of these different issues of this Joe Frankenstein miniseries, there's a lot of mood and atmosphere in, in these stories and, or these issues, I guess I should say. And I really like the way that he draws vampires because there is this little sequence at the beginning where the Frankenst uh, Frankenstein's monster has to basically save the cat. And so in this case, the save the cat sequence involves him going up against authentic vampires. And these are not uh, people that just have pointy little fangs. I mean, these almost look like when when these women go into vampire mode, it it's like... They don't even look vaguely human anymore. And that's just the way I've always liked seeing vampires done. And I guess that's uh, that's the way that uh, Graham Nolan likes drawing vampires, because that's the kind of vampire that, that we get here. So anyway, so at some point I do intend to talk about Joe Frankenstein on this podcast, as with Vampirella. Don't exactly know when that's going to happen. But here again, this is yet another horror comic that is just more interesting to me than basically anything to do with superheroes. So, anyway. Um, now, one there there is one very famous horror comic book that, I, guys, I honestly don't think I'm ever going to talk about. And that is The Walking Dead. And the reason for that is so many people have done so many podcasts about The Walking Dead that it's... It's almost like, like, what more is there to say, you know? Uh, there was a point when uh, Two True Freaks, they talked about an issue of uh, The Walking Dead in, uh, I, I want to say it was virtually every episode of Comics Monthly Monday, and I liked The Walking Dead, and I guess I've never heard anybody podcast about it before which I thought was odd even at the time, but hey, whatever. And I thought they did a great job doing it. And it just seems like anything that I would say about The Walking Dead as a comic book, it would just seem, well, what can I do to distinguish it from the two true freaks? But it's like, even if I could do that, 
how many billions of Walking Dead podcasts are there out there? And I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I know it's a bunch. And I just don't really have... I don't think I have a really different angle on that. I mean, for me, once you get past Walking Dead number 48, and if you remember what number 48 is all about, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Once you get past that issue, I, I can really take her... I, I can take or leave the the Walking Dead. I mean, it's not bad. I can't say there's really anything wrong with it, but it to me that series peaked at issue number forty eight, and it's it just seems like everything that happened after that was just kind of a retread of a bunch of stuff that we'd seen before, and it just kind of gets wearisome after a while. So, anyway. Moving right along. Um, there have been uh, horror movies as well. And I'm on the record. I mean, I guess at this point it's probably undeniable that I really enjoy the Halloween film series. I mean, yeah, some movies really are better than others. But for me, even though the, num the number of bad movies outnumber the the good movies, the the bad does not outweigh the good, like, overall. And so I really enjoy that, but I've sort of talked at length about that, but I've even been watching other horror movies as well. And again, enjoying those more than superhero films. Now, let me just add a caveat here by saying that part, at least, is not necessarily a, a new thing. I've, I, I've been sort of on the horror movie bandwagon, or at least I've been off most I've been mostly off of the superhero movie bandwagon for quite a while now. So I don't know, piss on it, I guess, but it's just for whatever reason, it's like, okay, there's this Rob Zombie movie called the Lords of Salem right now is the Lords of Salem, the greatest horror movie ever. Well, as with so many things, no, but it's, I don't, I, I don't feel like I wasted my time watching the Lords of Salem. I don't, I wouldn't even say this is the best movie that Rob Zombie has ever directed, but I enjoyed myself. You know, it, uh, it looks like according to iTunes, this movie is an hour and 40 minutes and I enjoyed myself for an hour and 40 minutes as I, as I watched this movie. And I'm going to be honest with you, like to the degree that I'm a horror guy at all, and I'm really not, but like to whatever degree I am, I tend not to go for like the too much of like the supernatural type stuff. Like, I guess like a monster or something like that, or like a slasher, that kind of horror I can get into pretty easily. But like this whole like uh, black magic type stuff, I just never really got into that quite as much. But nevertheless, it, there was nothing in this movie that I that, that was a deal breaker for me. All right. Put it that way. So just overall, I've just gotten, say it with me, more out of that than I have superhero stuff. And I really don't know what this means. Like, does this mean that there's been some kind of a massive sea change, uh, sea change with me such that I'm done with superheroes forever. I mean, I don't know, because 
I'm a firm believer in what I call the fanboy muse, where this wide variety of interests that you have, generally there's only one thing at a time that occupies your attention, and then you... You're basically focused on that one thing for a while, and then you move on to something else for a while, then you move on to something else for a while. That's the fanboy muse. It's always taking you in different directions, and usually very unpredictable directions. And, it, and so I don't know if this is a case of me grappling with the fanboy muse, or if I really have in some way or another called it a day with superheroes. I I really don't I, I don't know the answer to that. It a lot of this really does come down to the mainstream comic book industry. You know, ultimately that's what this is really all about. And the way that SJWs have basically sh strangled this industry into fucking oblivion. They've put their own thoughts into uh, characters' mouths. They've inserted their own politics into the stories. It just kind of gets to a point where I just don't care anymore, you know? And the thing is, I'm not unique, all right? I don't want to give away specific numbers or anything like that, but back in 2016, if, if I look at what the top downloaded podcasts on the Two True Freaks network, what the what, what the top numbers were back then, and then compare them to now, guys, it is a massive fucking drop-off, all right? Comics. Comic books were something that people cared about four years ago. Just to kind of pick a number. Comics were something that people cared about four years ago, whereas today, it's it, it just seems like there are huge portions of fans, huge portions of fandom, that have just kind of washed their hands of the whole thing, basically with this attitude of, hey, fuck it, if you don't care, I don't care. So, I'm out, and you, you SJW comic book pros, just enjoy your Dickensian poverty, you're on your own, you know? And even the, the episodes that I've done about Comicsgate, yeah, there is, there, there's a big audience out there for uh, uh, Comicsgate comics, but not, apparently not very much, or at least nothing to write home about with people podcasting about Comicsgate comics. So I don't really know what to tell you there. So... My point in mentioning all of uh, all of this, though, is is just to kind of think out loud. You know, is it? Am I all alone here? You know, am I the only one who isn't getting as much into superhero stuff as I used to? And as I look around, it really does seem like the answer is no. There are tons of people out there who are just kind of done with it as well, and done with it in a way that isn't healthy. They're done with it in a way where I don't know that they're ever coming back. I don't know if I'm ever coming back. 
I mean, I have like an affection for, or at least I have fond memories of of my superhero fandom, but I'm not really experiencing superhero fandom right now. And again, like I say, as I look around fandom right now, I see a lot of people who are kind of coming at this from the same place I am. I mean, you can poke around on YouTube and just see for yourself. I mean, there are just not very many people talking about comics right now on YouTube. And the reason for that, YouTubers are happy to explain, look, the bottom fucking fell out of that, all right? And they they seem to want to keep talking about 2017. I don't, I don't know why, but they keep saying, you know, back in 2017, people were mostly into comics. And today they're just not. Uh, the the YouTube stuff that I do about comics, you know, and the YouTubers then just kind of go on to say that basically that stuff nobody watches it, you know. So I'm not a YouTuber. I I'm really in no position to comment on that one way or the other. But it just it just seems like YouTubers are experiencing it, uh, podcasters are experiencing it. Just this massive decline in interest. People wanting to listen to you talk about comics or at least superheroes whereas the stuff that I've done that's even vaguely about about anything to do with horror well number one I enjoy that stuff a whole lot more and number two people seem to enjoy listening to me talk about that stuff a whole lot more so I don't know what to tell you guys you know um, it could just be that I've completely rotated out my audience I don't think I buy that it doesn't seem like the faces have changed all that much in the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group, but maybe I have. I mean, some podcasts do that, you know, where the the podcast or the uh, audience they have for their podcast one year is totally different five years later. They literally don't have... It, it's a bigger podcast now than it was before, but they have literally changed out the entire audience, you know? And I just, I don't think that's that's what's going on with with my podcast you know so i don't know what i do know is that sooner or later sooner i think trennis magnus punches reality is gonna have to go on some kind of hiatus just because i'm gonna be busy with my newborn daughter and all that stuff and i expect i'm gonna be occupied with that and so that's just the first thing but the second thing is sooner or later I'm gonna come back and when I do I honestly don't know that I'm gonna uh, pick up with a whole lot of superhero stuff now guys I gave you my word I promised you that I was gonna work through all 10 seasons of Smallville and so I if nothing else I do intend to kind of grit my teeth and force myself to do that at some point you know, I am going to finish that, you know, barring death or something like that. I do intend to finish it, but it's, you know, that's, at this point, that's really the only superhero stuff that I'm prepared to commit to right now. When I come back, don't be too surprised if mostly what I talk about is something to do with horror comics or horror TV shows, horror movies. Or maybe, for that matter, just more comic skate stuff. Uh, that is a possibility as well. Um, crime comics, non-fiction comics, noir comics, just uh, fucking what it, West, uh, Western comics, you know? Just whatever. 
I honestly don't know if I'm ever going to come back to mainstream superheroes. So, and honestly, I kind of blame the modern SJW comic book pro for just killing so much of what I used to love about, about comics. So, anyway, uh, kind of a, a relatively short episode this week, but I'm... I don't know. This was what I was able to uh, record right now, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Now, as to next week, I don't really know what I'm going to be talking about next week, or if there even will be an episode next week. I've got, I think I've said this a few times now, but I've got quite a backlog of episodes of uh, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, something like eight or nine or ten episodes that I recorded years and years and years ago and just never got around to releasing. And that stuff is conventional superheroes for anyone who's still interested in that, if anybody. Uh, I, at some point, I do intend to release those episodes. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but at some point, I do intend to do it. So who knows? Maybe some of that stuff is going to start getting released next week, or maybe next week I'm going to have something new recorded. I don't know. Or maybe next week is going to be the hiatus. I don't know. All of this is to say, I don't really know what's coming next week, if anything. But uh, either way, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So bye, everybody. I guess I'll see you guys whenever I see you. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So, join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, 
All feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>